Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I'm your host, Melissa Brunetti. In this second season of Mind Your Own Karma, we're tackling the subject of adoption. Yes, adoption most of the time is a wonderful experience. You have the generous birth parents, the excited adoptive parents, and this lucky little baby. Everyone lives happily ever after, right? But what I want you to know is, there's so much more to these stories. I'm an adoptee myself, and I want to bring all sides of the adoption journey to you in hopes to educate you and to bring understanding to the subject. We're about to get real and raw here, so let's dive right in. Hey there, Karma Crew. It's Melissa Brunetti, the host of Mind Your Own Karma. I am so glad that you have joined me today. I have a special guest, Rick Feltner, that I met on one of the adoption sites on Facebook. And he has got quite the interesting adoption story. He was also in foster care. So he also has part of that is his story as well. So lots of twists and turns and mystery going on here. And he is still on the journey of finding out what exactly happened to him all those years ago. So I hope you enjoy this story. It's going to be a two parter. So half of it this week and the next half next week. So let me tell you a little bit about Rick Feltner. Rick is a father of five beautiful children. Rick has worked as an IT consultant, high school speech coach, early childhood professional, and Taekwondo instructor. Rick is an adoptee who has been in reunion with his maternal family for nearly 30 years and his paternal family for nearly 20 years. Rick has been involved with several adoptee supportive groups for the past five years and has spent the last several years focused on how to overcome rejection and abandonment issues through self-help and meditation. Rick believes that everyone has a right to know their roots, but ultimately everyone has a responsibility to reclaim their life and overcome adversity through self-reflection and living a purpose-driven life. So fasten your seatbelts. Here comes Rick Feltner. Welcome, Rick Feltner. I am so excited to have you on the show because, you know, what's that guy, the most interesting man in the world or whatever? <laughs> right, right. I think you beat him. Oh, no, no. <laughs> from, no, what no. I could, from what I could see on Facebook, I'm like, you have such a crazy story. I'm like, it's, it, I can't wait to dive into it. It's definitely been an interesting life. Right? So... I saw in one of the Facebook adoptee groups that you wrote, we all deserve to know the truth about who we are, where we come from, and why we're here. And I couldn't agree more with that statement. So why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and then jumping right into your story? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so I um, was adopted um, the first two years of my life. Um, pretty much I lived with my biological family. Um, I don't have any memory of that, but I, but I know that occurred. So my mother suffers from mental illness. Um, and so uh, shortly after I was born, uh, she admitted herself for treatment for her mental illness. Uh, my grandmother was raising me and um, she had uh, she, my my grandmother had just had another child right before I was born. Oh, so wow. uh, she had two babies in the house. Uh, so I was being raised basically as a brother to my uncle, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and so I have I have a baby book from that time period. Um, 
you know, so, you know, and they have photographs and stuff. And, but once I got into reunion, you know, I started discovering, you know, that, oh, wow, I, I actually had, you know, a whole family unit before, you know, the whole adoption process even started. So, um, so yeah, so the first two years of my life, I uh, lived with my, my grandparents and at some point, uh, and I'm still trying to figure out the details on this. Um, I DCFS gotten, I believe just because of my mother's mental illness, uh, they decided, you know, they needed to check on me and make sure, you know, I was being taken care yeah. of. And so at some point I ended up in the foster care system. And like I said, I don't really have the details to that. I'm actually, I've actually requested those records. Uh, I just got a, a response in the mail yesterday. We're looking into it and we may or may not find anything and, you know, we'll let you know, and it could be months and blah, 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 right. blah. But um, so I'm in the process of getting that information, hopefully um, if that information can be found. So I, I was then in foster care for a while. I remember the last foster home I was at before I went to the family that adopted me. Um, just a few memories. Um, I was around three years old. And so, you know, just a couple memories there. Not, not so good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I do remember going to live with the family that adopted me. So, so adoption to me was never something that was hidden or I didn't know about because, you know, I I believe I started living with my family that adopted me around four. And then the adoption was finalized uh, in 1982 when I was six. So, um, so it's never been some point and like, Oh, by the way, you're adopted. You know, I, I have memories pre-existing my adopted family. And so uh, I was raised by that family. I had uh, three older siblings. They were all girls. Um, I think that's the reason I was adopted. I think dad wanted a boy. Um, <laughs> and so I was adopted as a fourth child. Uh, the, the girls were all biological, never really had memories of my biological family. I just always knew that I had a biological family, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So um, throughout life, you know, I always had questions and stuff like that. Um, and it never really seemed appropriate to ask those questions, you know, and, and, and when adoption did come up, um, it was always, you know, you're, you're in our family now and we love you and, um, you know, and you're being taken care of, and this is a better situation for you. Um, and so, you know, I just came to accept that, um, you're always told you're fine. You're yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, when you don't feel it, you're like, wait a minute. I, well, then why don't yeah. I feel that way? <laughs> Exactly. Um, and so in high school, a school counselor got involved and they were, they were like, you know, you know, wh- why are you having trouble concentrating in class, not doing your work, stuff like that. Um, and I told him, I said, well, you know, I just think a lot about, I, I, I always wonder about my mom, my, my biological mom, you know, I just wonder where she's at, who she is, you know, um, it's just all, so as a teenager, you were already thinking that way. Yes. Um, wow. And the the interesting thing is a school counselor actually had adopted children, um, and he was open to that discussion. And he convinced my parents that, you know, maybe, you know, they should allow me to talk about this a little bit. And there was actually, ironically, an adoption support group at my school. Wow. 
Um, and we went to that for a little bit. Um, and it was, it was for everybody in the triad. So it was adoptees. It was, um, you know, adopted parents. It was, uh, you know, original parents. And we went to that a few times and I was really enjoying it. And it was just nice to, you know, be able to have those conversations and be able to discuss those things. Um, and then my parents weren't real comfortable with it. Stop going. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe their response was, you know, Oh, it's just a bunch of people with their sob stories. And, um, you know, just kind of, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but just kind of, I don't want to say belittled that, but just, uh, unvalidated those feelings, you know, um, or didn't validate those feelings. Um, and so, um, so that was kind of it. Then, um, when I was 16, one day I came home, uh, I was out running errands with my dad. Um, and I walked in the house and, uh, my mom, my adopted mom said, Oh, hold on a second. Here he is. And she hands me the phone and she's like, it's your grandma. And I'm thinking it's my mom's mom, um, you know, and I'm like, Hey grandma. And the lady on the other end of the phone is basically in tears. And she's like, Oh my gosh, Ricky, I I thought I'd never talk to you again. And And I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't, you know, this isn't the grandma that I was thinking it was. And so that was my first conversation with my biological grandmother that had raised me the first two years of my life. Um, and, um, and your parents were okay with that. With So my, my, my mom, uh, my adopted mom actually was very proactive in making that happen. I didn't know that at the time. Uh Um, so she had worked, she was a nurse and she worked for a doctor. Um, so she had the doctor request my birth information from the hospital I was born at, uh, for medical reasons that happened to have my address, uh, where I lived my life. It had my mom's name. It had my grandparents' name. Um, and it had, uh, and they still lived at the same place, uh, same phone number. Uh, so I think my mom had written them a letter and, you know, said if they wanted to initiate contact, they could. And as soon as they got the letter, they called and that's when, uh, that whole conversation took place. So, um, I've been in reunion with my biological mother's side, I'm about to be 46. So about 30 years, it was great to talk to my grandma. And had I known at the time that she was the one that did most of the raising of me, I probably would have been more excited about that conversation. But my questions were about my mom. Um, And so I was asking my grandma, you know, I'm like, you know, what about my mom? And she didn't want to really say anything to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was like, well, uh, and so think, oh my gosh, is she, you know, has she passed away? You know, what's going on? Um, And, uh, so, uh, you know, she eventually tells me that, you know, she's, I, I don't remember the word she used, but basically told me she was mentally ill, lives in a home. Um, and that, you know, if I wanted to, I could meet her sometime, um, you know, but, you know, just trying to prepare me that it's yeah. might not be some joyous reunion, right, um, right. kind of thing. And, uh, how did that hit you? Did that sink, sink in at all? Not really, not until I actually met her, uh, you know, at the time I was just excited that she was alive. She was a real person. I was going to get to meet her. Um, and, uh, you know, cause that, that's all I really thought about. It was just, I, I wanted 
to see my mom. I wanted my mom. Uh, so I ended up meeting um, my grandparents, uh, some aunts, uncles, cousins. Uh, I was born in Danville, Illinois, uh, which is kind of on the Indiana border. And I was raised in Mackinac, Illinois, which is kind of central Illinois. And so we met kind of halfway in Champaign. Uh, we went to the mall and that's where I met everybody. I went with my cousins and my uncle that was my age. And we went and played at the arcade, talked with my grandparents. So you were a teenager at this time? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 16. Um, you know, and so it, it was just neat. It was neat to meet everybody, but I still wanted to meet my mom. Um, and so um, we actually arranged for a visit for me to go stay with my grandparents for about a week or two. And uh, during that time, they took me to the home where my mom was. And that's when I, when I met my mom. Um, and so, you know, I had never really been around anybody that was mentally ill or really understood mental illness or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I met my mom, first of all, she refused to believe it was me, you know, and uh, she, she thought they were trying to pass off my cousin as me. <laughs> um, and so she, she took my shirt and she lifted it out and she looked down my shirt, which was really strange, <laughs> um, had had uh, heart surgery at a young age. Um, and so she was looking for the scar oh, wow. to prove that, that I was Jason, my cousin. Um, and when she didn't see the scar, she, her expression just changed. And it's like the wind was taken out of her sails and she sat down on the bench um, and she said, um, they told me I'd never see my baby again. Mm. Um, and so it was a really emotional time. Again, I'm a teenager. Emotions are rampant as a teenager yeah. anyway. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lot to take in. And then she kind of had an episode um, later in our in our meeting where she was just kind of talking gibberish and she had talking about she started talking about another baby that was taken away which didn't really ever happen mm -hmm. and so it all got really really strange for for yeah. me to process yeah. um and um and so that night you know we had left there and i went and stayed at my aunt's house that night because my cousin was there and he was my age and it was more fun to hang out at my aunt's house than at my yeah. grandparents house um and I remember that night, it just kind of hit me and I, I woke my aunt up and I'm just bawling and I, mm -hmm. it, so many questions like, you know, did I cause my mom's mental illness? You know, has she always been like this? What did she mean about this other kid that was taken away? Um, and just, uh, you know, so many things, you know, and my aunt called me down and reassured me, you know, she's like, and she kind of explained that due to my mom's mental illness that she believe she had another child and that that child was taken away. So I, I believe my mom was like reliving the trauma, right? you know, w along with her mental illness, you know, it would just kind of started manifesting as another reality in her head. Yeah. Um, and so that was interesting. Um, and, uh, but I stayed in contact with my biological mother's side, uh, would go visit them once or twice a year, um, you know, talk to them on the phone, things like that. Developed a really close relationship with my aunt, uh, my cousins. Didn't ever really get to develop a relationship with my mom just because of her mental illness. Um, but, you know, we would visit and, and talk. And then um, 
as far as the paternal side, my mom never really told me who my father was, um, anything like that. And I never really had a lot of my dad. For some reason, I just always had that yearning for my mother. You know, I, I don't know why, um, yeah. you know, and so, but yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that's pretty common. Yeah. And, um, you know, but, it, but, but the strange thing was after meeting my biological family, having pictures of me and my mom together, having pictures of me playing with my cousins and my uncles and, uh, and my grandparents, um, and f- having the baby book, um, you know, it's just, it really set in that I had a life before adoption, you know, and I, I didn't have any memories pre-adoption except for the previous foster home so I didn't mm-hmm. you know and and that was a hard part too because it's like you know it, even when I was in foster care from what I'm told my biological family had visitation with me um, and so I'm just wondering if I can remember the foster home why can't I remember a family um, and so it was always you know um, just a lot of questions and then what did your by a lot, like your grandmother, what did she remember happened? Why, why they came and stepped in? Did she say anything about that? That's an, that's an interesting story. And it's, and that's why I'm trying to get the actual information. Um, so my grandmother has since passed. So is my grandfather. Um, so I can't ask questions mm-hmm. at the time I was really young and I don't think they wanted to give me a lot of information, but interesting story. I had uh, my, my second marriage, we were having our rehearsal dinner. My grandparents were there. My biological grandparents were there. My adopted parents were there um, and we're sitting down for dinner. And my grandma looks over at me and says, your mother never threw you in a ditch, Ricky. I need you to know that that never happened. Oh, wow. Prior to this, I had never thought. Like I didn't think that happened. (laughs) Now I think it might have. <laughs> yeah, and so exactly, and so and it was just really strange timing, being you know a rehearsal dinner for my marriage, and you know, and and so that got the wheels spinning. So I don't know, um, and so I, I actually I asked my aunt about that, and uh, my aunt said she had moved away for a while, um, and so she's not a hundred percent sure what happened, um, but the story was you know, that someone had reported to DCFS that my mom had abandoned me in a ditch. Um, And I guess the person that had reported it uh, wasn't really friends with, they both liked the same guy. (laughs) Um, And so nobody knew if this was the truth, a a factual story or not a factual story. Um, And, and so, like I said, I don't, I don't have those details. Um, I have, my grandmother claiming it never happened. My aunt saying she has no idea whether it happened. Um, and, uh, and my mother doesn't capacity to tell me what really yeah. happened. Um, and, and so I'm kind of waiting on that information, because that's kind of one of the missing pieces of my past that I'm like, you know, what did happen? Why did the state, because when DCFS first got involved, even when I became a ward of the state, they allowed me to stay with my grandparents. Um, and so at some point I was removed from my grandparents and put in another foster home. And then the family that adopted me, um, I have the court papers 
from that time, but it's, there's no real details there. Um, it's just the state is filing for guardianship, yeah, yeah, you know, like and other, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's where the DCFS paperwork is really going to give me more of those details if, and when I get that information. Now, is that agency anything like, you know, adoption where those things are sealed and there's only certain ways you can get it opened and all that? Yes. Uh, yeah. So, um, Illinois passed a law, um, I don't remember what year it was, but um, basically it's the Illinois Freedom of Information Act. Um, and so I am allowed to have access to those because it does involve me. Um, so legally, I'm allowed to have those. Now, the response I've gotten back, is you have to follow, you have to go through a certain agency to request it. There's a certain form you fill out, has to be notarized. You have to give them as much details as possible. Um, me having the court papers, and my original social security number, all that really helps. Um, and so I filled out that paperwork, got it notarized, sent it in. Um, and as I said, I just got the letter yesterday, you know, basically saying, here's the process. It could take months. DCFS has thousands and thousands of files, you know, um, get back to you as soon as we can. If we find anything, if we don't, you know, we'll tell you your next steps then. So, so I'm in a holding pattern until they respond back to me on that. So um, I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic that I'm going to get that information eventually. It was hard even getting to the point to really want to know, like I always wanted to know, but it's scary to find out that information or to have a story validated or, you know, um, you know, because, that's that's me as a you know two year old child or or whatever, and what if my mom did leave me in a ditch? you know how do I process mm-hmm. that, and how do I deal with that um and so you know and so this is where you know I know we're gonna get into um you know some of the the healing techniques and stuff um but this is this is why I need those kind of things because there's so many questions and Mm. so much trauma that obviously took place. Number one, just being separated from my biological family. Number two, maybe I was or was not abused. I don't know. Um, I do know I was abused in one of the foster homes, Um, you know, and so you carry all this stuff with you. It manifests as pain, stress, anxiety. Right. If you don't, address that and you don't do anything to uh release that right. then it causes problems in your life and it, and it has for me you know um um you know i've 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 had three marriages that haven't worked so you know obviously there's you know there there's there's something there you know so and so yeah so that's that the maternal side um so on my biological father's side um like i said i didn't have much of an interest in finding that out i was a little curious here and there and i i started years ago trying to possibly look into that uh, but my aunt on my mother's side kept telling me she's like this lady you know keeps telling me that husband or boyfriend or whatever is your father as always you know has always claimed to be your father and you know he was young at the time and didn't step up when you were born uh regrets that um his his son 
looks a lot like you. Um, and you know, um, so I, I think, you know, that might be your father. And I think I did make one attempt to call him in my early, early twenties. Um, maybe even when I was 19, 18, 19. Um, but his father has the same name as him. He's the second. And I think I got a hold of his father. He's like, Oh no, you want my son, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> and I didn't know if I was getting the runaround or whatever. And it was just right. too emotional, but eventually I did pursue it. Come to find out uh, he was in prison. <laughs> um, and uh, so I wrote him a letter while he was in prison and, and uh, said, you know, I'm told you've claimed to be my father. Uh, you regret not being in my life. I don't know whether that's true or not. And I don't want anything from you to know, you know, if that's what you believe to be true. And he wrote me back and he was elated to hear from me. And, you know, and so we wrote back and forth several times uh, when, when he was released, um, I went and met him. Well, actually I went and met him while he was in prison, uh, which was interesting. And then when he was released, I went to visit him and met my biological brothers and my sister. Um, so half, half brothers and, and half sister. Mm -hmm. And so um, maintained a relationship with him. He came when my, when my first daughter was born, he came and spent about a week with me was, was there, you know, uh, taking care of help and take care of her very, you know, very much wanted to be a part of my life. We had a falling out when I decided to leave my second wife because he, she had also been writing him while he was in prison and they developed a relationship and he uh, was close to her. And so he was calling me and leaving me messages saying, you know, you're making a big mistake and marriage is, you know, sacred and blah, 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 blah. And I didn't need advice from a dad that had only been in my life for a, a, a couple of years. That doesn't know me. <laughs> has yes. his own failed marriages and, you know, children with multiple women. And, and, uh, you know, I just didn't sit well with me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of stopped communicating with him for a while. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, when I did decide I wanted to to make contact with him again, he had uh, he had passed. So, um, so I, I do have some regrets there, but I still do. I'm very close with my my biological sister uh, from him, and uh, she actually just visited a couple weekends ago uh, with her kids, and uh, we talk a lot on the phone. Uh, she actually came to live with me at one point when she was having some trouble in her life, you know, just, just for a short time period to get back on her feet. Oh, wow. And so, uh, it's definitely a nice, uh, mm -hmm. relationship. My, my brothers, um, I don't really have that really, you know, we, we like each other's Facebook posts and stuff like that, but that's about the extent of that, yeah. that relationship. Yeah. But, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of my adoption and relinquishment story there let's back up a little bit so you said you remember a little bit about being in the foster care system what are your feelings about how do you think going from multiple families may differ or not differ from being adopted and going into a family like right away right after birth 
Yeah, obviously it, it is different. Um, and, and not having experienced being adopted at birth, I can't speak to that. Um, but having met a lot of adoptees where that is their experience, I believe, I believe we're, we all have the same primal wound, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. um, of the separation from your mother, no matter what, you know, whether that was at birth or whether that was at two years old or three years old or four years old. Um, I, I believe that occurs. I think with me, and I think the reason I had such a need to search is because I had pre memories. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my adoption. I remember the court proceeding, you know, and so I knew this life existed, but I didn't know what my last name was. I didn't know who my mother was. I didn't know, you know, um, and so it was just odd that I knew that I had this other family or I had at least the foster care experience, but children that are adopted older than I was, you know, would have a much different experience as well. But like I said, I can't really speak to those because that what that isn't my experience. All I know is what I've experienced. So let's talk about the primal wound a little bit. Um, I talked, I've talked about it a little bit as well, but um, I saw another uh, excerpt of a post that you said, and it said, in any case of trauma, this wound can be triggered just like a battle hardened soldier can be triggered by a loud bang. So two can adopt D be triggered by a sense of loss or rejection, such as a pet dying, a family member dying, a rejection letter from a college, a breakup, a divorce, an argument, or their adoptive parent dying. Any number of things can trigger this sense of abandonment and loss. So what is your definition of the primal wound? The primal wound is, it's the injured child. It's, it's, it's it's that inner child that suffered a trauma that changed the direction of their life. I have five children and not that I have given birth to them because I'm a man, but I have, <laughs> I've experienced the process of childbirth. I've experienced what a woman goes through, um, you know, from an observational standpoint, obviously, um, and an emotional standpoint, because I'm their emotional support. And so I understand the bonding in a child while they're in the womb. Um, And, and so, uh, and, and there's research and everything that, that, that shows that there is a bond there. The child hears their voice, you know, knows their presence, knows their scent, knows that is for nine months of that baby being in the womb, all they know. And so even if that child's born, taken to another room, never sees their mother again, there, there is a trauma there that occurs from that separation. Uh, Now, in my case, you know, having known my mother, um, having, you know, pictures taken with my mother, having, you know, been raised around her, whether she was directly caring for me or my grandmother was, um, obviously that's a little different for me because she was a presence in my life for two years and then she isn't. Um, and so I, I believe that that wound exists in all adoptees. And I know there's some people that are adopted that don't believe that that exists. And, um, and they may have had a very 
positive upbringing. And, and I think that helps. I, you know, I, 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 I think ultimately whatever is done to a child, whether it's the parent or the state involvement or an adopted parent or a foster parent, the most important thing is to make sure that child develops appropriately and has social emotional support children that get better social emotional support that have experienced that trauma can heal from that trauma better but i don't think that negates the fact that that trauma existed and you know i know people there's the term you know uh you're in the fog or coming out of the fog and i and again i know some people question you know, you know, some people say, well, I'm not in the fog. I just want nothing, you know, get rid of me. I don't want anything to do with them and it doesn't matter. I, I, this is my life and, and that's fine and dandy, but I bet if you actually examined patterns in your life where, uh, you feel certain stressors, you know, uh, you, you have anxiety come on like, you know, the, uh, the, the quote you just read mm-hmm. that, that, I, that I wrote before, there are trigger moments, whether you want to recognize those or not is another story. And if you're happy, not finding out about your past, that's perfectly fine. Uh, But I don't think that means that the primal wound doesn't exist for that person. Yeah, I agree too, because I mean, I was um, my, my biological mother, right after I met her, she's the one that gave me the book, the primal wound. And, you know, this was right when it came out pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, first of all, I was like, lady, you don't know me. <laughs> you know, right. I'm like, I was offended. I'm right. like, you don't know me. I'm fine. This is not me. This is not my, my parents. who I call my parents, you know, right. Don't act like you understand me. And I threw it in the trash. I read it and I threw it, threw it away. And I recently, just a few months ago, rebought the book because mm. now I'm at a stage where I can read it and I can, you know, take what I need and leave what I don't. And I could say, right. okay, yeah, that correlates to me. And oh, well, that doesn't really, you know, right. But, um, Yeah. And so now I can go back and read it and I can appreciate it more because I really think this is such a layered process to go Mm -hmm. through. And if you're confronted with like someone giving you the primal wound at the wrong time that you're not ready to hear it, it triggers you. Oh, absolutely. Big time. I mean, I was triggered for for years after that, over that book. And and I was just so protective of my adoptive parents. Right. Like they didn't do anything wrong. What do you mean? They raised me and I'm fine. You know, exactly. I did. I had a great life, but I didn't want to face that. I still did have that primal wound and that I still did have residual effects from that. I just didn't want to, I did not, I wasn't ready. Right. I wasn't ready to look at it. Yeah. And, and some people do not want to admit that they're, I I think primal wound, you kind of have to say, oh, they're, there might be something wrong with me. I might, I might be a little damaged. And a lot of people don't want to admit that, you know, you know, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I, I have a good life. I've done this. I've done that. And that's fine. If you can find happiness in your life without having to, to, you know, uh, go through any healing steps or anything, that's fine. You know, uh, but I still don't think that negates, there was an emotional, psychological injury that occurred early on in your life and maybe your life has been 
so good that, you know, you've, you've been able to overcome that throughout your life and, you know, um, but it doesn't negate the fact that it still exists. Exactly. And, and, and then I think some people just don't want to admit that there is anything wrong to begin right. with. And people that um, aren't adopted are the same way. <laughs> they don't want exactly. to look at themselves either. So exactly. it's just yeah. a, a natural thing to not want to do that, I think. So there's part one of Rick's adoption story. Pretty interesting stuff. And like I said, he's still on the journey to figuring out really what happened and why he was placed in foster care. He never really found out what happened. And so he has written to the foster care system and they are supposed to look into his records, but apparently they have tons and tons of people inquiring and they don't even know if they will be able to find these answers for him, which is so frustrating. And the only people that really know are his mom who can't really remember and his grandparents who are no longer here. So I'm really hoping that he can find out these answers. And like he said, even if it's something that he doesn't want to hear, he still wants to hear it. So I really hope that he gets those answers. Next week, we're going to dive some more into Rick's journey. And we are going to talk about adoptees issues and how it affects our chakras and how adoptees can use meditation to help heal those chakras, which I find so, so interesting. So tune in for that and the conclusion of Rick's adoption story. If you know of an adoptee or anyone in the adoption triad that would like to come on Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles, please send them my way. They can send me an email at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com, or they can find me on Instagram and Facebook as well under Mind Your Own Karma, and their story might be on the podcast. Don't forget to share and rate this podcast on your listening platform. It really, really does help get the word out about the podcast. So thank you so much if you've already done that. And if you haven't, it would mean so much to me if you would take the time to do that. So as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I've had listeners ask how they can help support this podcast. The best way to do that is rate and review this podcast directly on your listening platform. You have no idea how this small gesture helps get the word out about this podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe tab to get notified of future episodes so you won't miss a thing. You can also find my Instagram and Facebook links below if you would like to follow and support me there as well. Lastly, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Adoption Chronicles season of the podcast, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.